This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm your host, Jackie Pack. I'm really excited this morning to have on with me a really special guest, Mark Nepo. If you are aware of him or know of his work, his books, I know a lot of my clients have really benefited from his books. Mark is a beloved poet, teacher, and storyteller. He's a New York Times bestselling author of the book of Awakening and has been called one of the finest spiritual guides of our time. He's a consummate storyteller and an eloquent spiritual teacher. His many books have been translated into more than 20 languages. In February, the end of February, actually, the dates are February 25th and 26th, and I will be giving you more information about this event taking place in Salt Lake City at the end of this episode. But in his talk that he's going to be presenting, which is sponsored by the Jung Society of Utah, Mark will be exploring the heart work required to inhabit our lives by engaging our ongoing relationships to self, other work, community, and source. The integrity of our heart work depends on integrating who we are with what we do, regardless of the service we're called to. And this is something I'm really looking forward to unpacking and talking about today in this episode with Mark. So having said all of that, Mark, thank you and welcome to Thanks for Sharing. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your work on hard work, what that kind of means. Um, you know, obviously we want people to be coming to the event, so we're not going to go into all of it, nor do we have time today. Sure, sure. Well, I think that, you know, like all of my work, you know, I've been working for many years. And when I, I just, I turned 70 this past year, seems, it uh, doesn't seem so old now. When I met people my age, when I was younger, I thought they were ancient. But in my 30s, as you might know from my work, I almost died from a rare form of lymphoma. And I think that was the real beginning of my learning about heart work and how we really need uh, to be who we are everywhere so that we can really live our lives fully and help each other. You know, one of the great paradoxes about being human is no one who's ever been here that's you or me. No one can live your life for you. And yet the other side of the paradox is no one can make it alone. In fact, it's a, a, a modern form of illness when we insist we can make it alone. Right. And that, right. that, only, that only hurts ourselves and others. So, you know, I was humbled back then to really just drop everything and say help and accept help from everyone. Whether, you know, I was raised Jewish and I have a great tie to the Jewish heritage but I'm a student of all paths, which informs all my work, because when I was going through all that, uh, I didn't like say, oh, well, were, were these people raised the way I was before I accepted help? I, I said help. And when anybody offered anything, I said, thank you. Mm -hmm. And and so I was challenged to believe in everything. And all of my work uh, has been exploring that ever since. I mean, I think that's such an important shift that takes place. I don't know. I mean, I'm a therapist. I've been a therapist for 28 years. And personally, as well as professionally, I don't, I don't know people who get to that place of opening up to whatever, right? Without some challenge or struggle that enters their mm -hmm. life unexpectedly. 
Well, you know, and I think that this is one of the kind of laws uh, of spiritual physics, if you will, is that it doesn't have to be a life-threatening situation, but everyone will be dropped into the depth of life. It, it, it often happens by challenge or difficulty, but it could also be surprise or wonder or being loved totally unconditionally for the first time in your life. It could be beauty mm. or grace, but, you know, I, I talk about the difficulty because that's how it came to me you know that's how it oh, almost dying opened me to all of all of that journey and um and so this is this is the heart work is how do we remove what's between us and life so that we can discover one how to be who we are everywhere and how we can also discover that we're more together than alone and, and, you know, we're, we live, as you know, in a very difficult, strident time. And I would say that every generation has its turn. This is ours. You know, for my parents' generation, it was World War II. It was the Great Depression of the 20th century. For us, it's the pandemic. But every generation will have its challenge. Are we going to reach out to each other? Are we going to welcome more views than just our own? And I think that this comes down to it's and it's a perennial we've heard it everywhere but the choice between love and fear mm. every day you know I'll face it again today every day we're asked to choose and if we choose fear and I know a lot about fear because I've been afraid in my life a lot and and I've learned that fear is not to be obeyed but moved through if when I'm afraid, I ask my fear what I should do, my fear will say, oh, be more afraid. Right. And so, you know, fear is to be moved through like a shiver or a fever or a cold. It cannot be denied. And there's a proper role for fear to alert us to true danger. But being human, all of us as humans tend to inflate our circumstance. So we make fear bigger than it is. And one of the challenges for all of us is how do we right size our fear? How do we make it exactly what it is so we can rediscover what real choices we have wherever, whatever situation we're in? What if I see this sometimes now, and this makes me wonder, I think maybe sometimes fear is at the root of things, but people don't always recognize that it's fear that's driving the behavior or the beliefs or, you know, the conversation because they've covered it over with other, mm -hmm. other passions, other beliefs that make the fear seem non-existent. Well, one, one humble thing, you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong educator and I have to admit, I also believe that you can't, change anyone mm. so so how am i a teacher well i think we're teachers and i'm sure you've experienced this as a therapist at best we're like greenhouses we provide light and warmth so that those within our company will grow the way they are meant to grow and and great love and great suffering are what break us open mm -hmm. and we can't rush that or force that but we also can't vanish so, you know, one of the, one of my other books called more together than alone was an exploration of community throughout the ages. Mm -hmm. And I was really interested in 
moments when we worked well together and what was that lineage and that history and and i discovered this was interesting that in the in europe in the dark what we call the dark ages which were only dark in europe actually the rest of the world was pretty enlightened at that time okay. but in you know in those 12 13 1400s only 10 percent of the european population was literate that mm. means 10 percent of the people kept literacy alive for more than 300 years and I would say that, and this is another paradox, that when we're awake, because we don't always stay awake, but when we're awake, it's incumbent on us today to keep the literacy of the heart alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and you know, and I say when we're awake, and one of my one of my small poems is just three lines, and it, it it goes like this: Those who wake are the students; those who stay awake are the teachers, how we take turns. Mm, yes. And that's part of what you're saying when you say, you know, we all have to make it through, but we can't do that alone. Absolutely. We're going Absolutely. to be times where we're touching other people as a teacher and other people are touching us as that student. So when I forget who I am, you can remind me, not mm. remind me how to be, but remind me of who I am, where I will remember how to be loving, yeah. how to choose love over fear. Right. I had an experience recently, a couple months ago, where somebody did that for me. And I, you know, was facilitating a workshop with them. And, you know, they'd gotten to know me a little bit behind the scenes and some of the doubts or fears that I had. And after that was over, it, you know, of course, it went a little bit unexpected, as those things tend to do. And he called me once I was back home, he called me and said, you can never be the person you were before this again. Because mm. I saw you step into something, and that's you. And so you can't go back. Well, and this is one of the, that's beautiful. And this is one of the, the rewards for being authentic and taking risks to see others and to be there is that once the heart opens in compassion, it can't close. Mm. We, we can deny it, but, but it's, it's still there. You know, and one of the things, there's a, a great Chinese philosopher from 300 BC, and he had this beautiful belief that human beings were naturally kind. And, and how he talked about it, he said, you know, the way water allowed its true nature will always flow downhill and join other water, so too human beings. Mm. We, can, we can manipulate water and pipe it and even make it go up against gravity, but allowed its true nature, it will always flow downhill and join other water. And we can be manipulated or manipulate ourselves not to be kind, not to be open, not to be giving, but, but allowed our true nature, we will just join with each other. I love that. I, I love that. I think particularly in the struggle time for our generation, that gives some hope. It gives something to maybe, uh, I, I wouldn't say work towards, but to maybe move towards. Absolutely. I was reminded, you know, of a, a lesson from my grandmother. My grandmother was an immigrant, of, lived to be 94. She came from Russia at the turn of the 1900s and toward the end of her life, and I loved her dearly. She was more of a mother to me than my own mother. And, and I would go visit her. She was in, in a hospital. Uh, toward the end of her life in Brooklyn, New York. And 
I came in this day and it was beautiful, beautiful day in May. And I, I came in the room, which she had been in for six months. And, and I saw her before she saw me. And I saw that she was kind of like sitting on the edge of the bed and she was kind of glum. And I came and I said, Grandma, how are you? What's going on? And, and she said with her thick Russian accent, she said, oh, it's a gray day. And I thought, oh, it's a beautiful day. Is she not Lucy? What's going on? And I looked around her room, which only had one window, which was caked with dirt. Oh. So it was a great day for her. And I said, Grandma, the window's filthy. We'll get it. I'll talk to someone. We'll get it clean. But it's a beautiful day. Let me, I'll take you out into the courtyard. And she looked at the window and she looked at me. And only as someone almost 100 who crossed an ocean to be here, she chuckled and she said, got a dirty eye, see a dirty world. Mm. And, you know, I count that as immigrant wisdom that has saved me, I can't tell you how many times, because certainly there will be gray days, not everything is rosy. But before we put all of our effort into working against something that's dark and difficult, let's make sure we don't have the, the window of our mind, our eye, our heart isn't dirty. And this is what love and introspection and spiritual practice is all about, whatever that means to you. That's how we clean the window. And the window isn't dirty because it, life is evil. It's nature. You know, this window right here in my study, it will get dirty and I'll have to clean it. Mm -hmm. And that's part of living. Experience covers it over. But every time we clean the inner window, we gain an inch of wisdom. Yeah, I like that analogy because like with windows, a storm comes through, your windows get dirty. And that's not the end of it. You can, you can clean that. You can work on that and kind of restore some clearness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we each have to learn for ourselves. It's a very personal, when I say a spiritual practice, I, th I believe that's very personal. Like all the traditions, formal and informal, offer us tools. But we have to choose which set of those tools we put in our toolbox. What is it that I need to do to clear my window? Do I need to sit down and meditate? Do I need to walk in nature? Do I need to call up my dearest friend and say, you know, I, I'm afraid today and I can't shake it. Can you help me? What, do I listen to a favorite piece of music? What, what is in your toolbox, whoever's listening to us, for you that helps you clean the window of your eye and your heart and your mind? This is hard work. This is hard work that we can look at these choices together. I, you know, I often say that what I share are examples, not instructions. Okay. Yeah. Because we have to find our toolbox ourselves. We can't just yeah. borrow Absolutely. somebody else's. I can share what works for me and you can say, right. oh, let me look at that. Maybe it'll work for me. Maybe not. And mm -hmm. then you can say, but this works for me. Maybe it'll help you too. Oh, great. And then we kind of look, right. we compare notes. Yeah. We're always comparing notes on what it is to be here. And that's why it's so important to be authentic. Despite all the, the things that have been written throughout the ages, we don't arrive with an instruction manual. <laughs> right. I've also heard you say, and going along with what you're saying right now, I've heard you talk about that, like, we can't take maybe what was given to us or like what people put on us 
in terms of figuring out our own authenticity. Like that's something that is an individual journey. Yeah, I think that, you know, that my experience has been that wisdom is not a shortcut. It's a resource. Mm -hmm. So there's all these things that everyone has to go through. No one is exempt. Birth, death, love, loss, grief, friendship, trust, betrayal, all these. These are what Carl Jung talked mm -hmm. about as archetypes, as passages that while no two people may go through the same way, there's no escaping them. And so wisdom is a support for our turn that we have to personalize. It's not something, oh, if I read this or if I learn this, I will, I'll be able to skip over that. Mm -hmm. And so in a way that I also understand this as we're talking about tools is that, and this is very human too, but like if I go to teach you how to use a screwdriver or a chisel or a hammer, Without realizing it, I'll also teach you what to build with those things. That's not the job of a teacher. My job is to teach you how to use it. You need to discover what you feel called to build with these tools. And we often, without realizing it, tell children or friends or others or mm -hmm. students, but if you're going to use this hammer, this is what you should do with it. No, no, that that is left up to the call of your soul. All of this speaks to the journey of heart work, of being a spirit in the world. How do we share what we know, but be humble enough to realize we, we can't know enough for someone else? Mm -hmm. Right. Which I experience a lot as a therapist. Like when I start mm -hmm. working with a client, I, I don't know where we're going to go. I can't know. There's not like a one size fits all approach. Yeah, that's and, wonderful. Uh, yeah, I will tell them like, I'm going to journey with you. And I'm not sure what exactly that looks like for you. But we'll find out. Yeah, there's another small poem of mine that that goes like this. The mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden mm. in their trouble. Okay, say that again. The mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble. Yeah, we just don't share out of that kindness that's innate to us. Right, right. Share because where we're called to share, our next teacher waits. Which also would say that this maybe student teacher or this giving, sharing, receiving is always two ways. It's always two ways. And, and so in that way, we're, I think as, a, as teachers, we are guides. We're guides mm -hmm. more than anything mm -hmm. who are on the journey ourselves. Everyone, right. everyone yeah. is a teacher and a student, everyone. Yes. Yeah, I love that. And I wish that we could I mean, again, that's my wish, right? But I, I wish that we could touch people more with that and understanding that this collective experience that changes all of us. Yeah, and I think, I think this is where we need to uh, stay visible and be who we are in the face of, you know, again, when we're awake, we can be emanate light and warmth. And when we're not, you know, the people around us that are afraid, we can't vanish. 
we we can't vanish you know with all the difficulty that's going on and the you know because when when we obey fear and you can see this around us today you, when we obey fear then we look for things that will confirm what we already know mm, yes and that's not education education is looking for what i don't know so you know again when fear grows how do we stay loving how do we find strength in our kindness how do we not vanish so mm -hmm. that we keep the literacy of the heart alive right which also may take us back to our toolbox those things that also strengthen us or replenish us so that we're not vanishing or we don't kind of check out and say i it's yeah. overwhelming See, I, I feel as I've been thinking, like, I don't, you know, of course, as we all are, you know, in our time right now, that there's, a, there's so many people are struggling with what is real and what is not. And I think that a, a, because of the pandemic and because of all the technology, that a lot of people have lost their direct connection to life. And without that, we bounce around. We bounce around like a pinball mm -hmm. in a pinball mm -hmm. machine. But we need all the traditions, formal and informal, and just our, you know, how do we, by taking a risk, be authentic and reestablish our direct connection with life? So, you know, I have a new book that's going to come out in September called Surviving Storms. And, and the central metaphor for that book is, you know, the redwoods that are out in the West mm -hmm. Coast. Now, maybe one could be uprooted in a really severe tornado or something, but probably not most of the time they might be damaged but they won't be uprooted because i mean those things are they're, they're 400 some are a thousand years old they're enormous they're hundreds of feet you know they're 30 feet wide and hundreds of feet tall well they don't aren't uprooted because their roots are deep and their trunks are wide that's why we really need to have a spiritual practice that's why we need to restore our direct connection with life so that we can deepen our roots and widen our trunks so we can survive the storms of our day. Yeah. Can you say more about that direct connection with life? Yes. Without that direct connection to life and without being able to go out and we're locked in our homes and in this social distance time, and all we have are all these, you know, alternate reality, these virtual realities, we lose sense of what's real and what's not. So how do we come back to restoring the fact that I'm standing on the earth, I'm breathing air from the sky? These are facts. Right. These are not debatable. We can talk about what it means to each of us, but these are facts. So how do we come back to discover a moment at a time? What does it actually mean to be alive? And we know in our heart what that feels like. And when we do, we can build on it so that we can say, oh, I, I, I now I remember what it is to, to have nothing between me and life. Mm -hmm. So when I encounter some other experience with my own feelings or with being with another person, oh, that's real. That's real. That's what I know. I remember what that feels like. How do I build my own experiential case? Not for what life means, but for what is real so that we can stay in conversation with life. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. going to require us to really have that connection and be attuned to our bodies. 
Absolutely. You know, and without that, we bounce around. We bounce around and I go, well, I don't know, is that, is this real? Is that real? Is the video game I'm in real? Is the, you know, well, if you're, if you return to like, if, if I'm by a lake and I stick my hand in the water, I don't need proof of what it is to feel what's wet. Mm -hmm. I don't need to question that that's real. And, the, and there are things that we feel and think that are primary experiences, breathing, being here, can we return and re-inhabit what those mean? Because that also helps clear our eye, the window of our eyes, our mind, our heart. And then we have a ground to, to stand on again. Right. Sometimes with the clients that I work with or you know, people who listen to my podcast, I specialize in trauma and addiction work, right? So oftentimes I tell clients, what happened usually in your childhood, right? Kind of create, like there was too much information coming in through your body, through your senses and nobody there to help you make sense of it or work your way through yeah. it. And so you kind of disconnected as a, as a survival mechanism, maybe, but now you're living in your head with this disconnect from the body and we have to reconnect those two in order to recover and live life right in meaningful purposeful ways and that can be scary for them absolutely yeah tra trauma and addiction it's so wonderful that you're working with folks around that those those are archetypal passages you know everyone will experience maybe not everyone will experience addiction but everyone will experience trauma and in some way or another and you know and and i just you know offer we have to have such compassion for people and ourselves when we when we go through that and mm -hmm. i i also so we we have to face it we have to i mean i think there's such wisdom in the in the 12-step rooms you know we have to face our lives and what we've been through and i firmly believe we're more than what is done to us mm -hmm. right more, we we can't skip over it <laughs> but we also have to reach out so that we don't drown in it. Mm -hmm. Right. All, Which all is what pulls people when they start to recognize that they are more than what was ha than happened or what was done to them, that starts to pull them through into recovery, into something yeah. bigger. And so this, all of what we're talking about is all of what it, it speaks to or touches into what, what I mean by hard work. And, you know, the workshop I'll be offering on the Saturday that I'm out with you in Salt Lake City is called Reclaiming Our Humanity. And so it's all the things we're talking about are about both of both of these things, because, you know, we uh, I, there's a great saying in, in the medieval times uh, when monks were asked how they practiced their faith, they said by falling down and getting up. Mm. And I love that. I love that. I, that's what my experience is in life. We, we do. And right. how do we help each other get up one more time than we fall? Mm -hmm. Right. Which I think also, you know, that getting back up is a hope that, you know, we can, we can, we can get back up and find something new or it's with encouragement that we get back up encouragement from other people, those around us who are helping us through. 
Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, and, and that comes back to the kindness that is so, so important, you know, kindness shares the same root with the word kinship. So mm -hmm. when we're kind, we rediscover our kinship with all things. And that strengthens us. Yeah, whether it's with people, with nature, whatever works for us, those things strengthen us and, and keep us awake or keep us moving in authentic ways. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my favorite poems of yours is, is it free fall or free falling? Oh, free fall. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about that one? Could you share that one? Sure. Sure. That uh, free fall. If you have one hour of air and many hours to go, you must breathe slowly. If you have one arm's length and many things to care for, you must give freely. If you have one chance to know God and many doubts, you must set your heart on fire. We are blessed. Each day is a chance. We have two arms. Fear wastes air. Yeah, I love that. Oh, thank you. I, I feel a calling from that. I don't yeah. know if other people experience that too, but I feel this calling that, again, kind of pushes me through the fear. Yeah. Like it to that. You know, yeah. This is a good, it's a good example to use where I feel like, I mean, certainly I, I feel like I retrieve the work that I write, mm -hmm. not that I'm channeling. I give my all to it, but when I am, and I think this is also not just about writing, but about in, in the introspective process, part of hard work is that when I'm authentic, then I start to learn from everything around me. And so the, the, the poems, when I can be authentic, become my teachers. So it, yes, that poem has always been a calling to me too, um, to, to be uh, present and hold nothing back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the face of, I mean, one of the great teachers in that first line, couple of lines is, you know, if you have one hour of air, and you say, oh, my God, I don't have much time. Then you must breathe slowly. Mm -hmm. Right. Not, not rapidly. And so in the face of urgency, how do we how do we stay centered? Yeah. How do we, and this goes to all the things we've been talking about, about not giving over to our fear, not denying it, but not letting it lead us. And how do we reconnect to life directly? How do we touch into our kindness? In, into the things that will give us deep roots so we won't get uprooted. Mm -hmm, right. It kind of says in the face, to me, it says, in the face of insurmountable odds, you have to center yourself. You have to ground yourself because if you're focused on the insurmountable parts, you're lost. Like you're, it's, it's going to take you out, right? But yeah. if, if you recognize I can do something, I can slow my breathing okay, that's something I can do something. I'm called to do something regardless of the odds. Well, and I think when things are, this is also, you know, it's so normal for all of us when we're overwhelmed with the situation. Uh, I mean, that's how fear says hello. It's everywhere. But one of the things about centering, one of the things that is 
how do we come down again to the very specific moment that we're in and the very specific task that's before us? How do we right size it? You know, I remember being fearful uh, during my cancer journey of just, you know, go, going to this meeting, which did change my life where I came out of it go, going into surgery. But, you know, I had to bring it all down to there's the doorknob and I've got to open this door. Hmm. Literally. Right. I can't know what's next unless I turn that knob and open this door. And, you know, it just comes right down to, can we bring it back down, have compassion for what's happening to us and then come down what's being asked in this moment right now. You know, Mother Teresa said courage was doing small things with love. Mm-hmm. Not small things with fear. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Would change her whole motto, right? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Just kind of being present. Even sometimes I will encourage clients, be present with what's hard. Like what you're doing is hard. It, change is not easy. But you also have to have some hope or vision or belief that you can do it and just take the next step, just the next one. Yeah, I think we're all living that day to day. Some days are easier than others. Some days are lighter. Some days are heavier, but we're, we're all in this. Mm-hmm. And, right. And again, this is all part of what hard work is. I love that. I know you also have a workshop that's beginning, uh, when is it on relationships, a three-part work, three-part work. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that because I also think that so often, you know, I think in the work that I'm doing so often those relationships, relationships are such a, such a, a vital part of change of recovery of moving forward. Um, and that's what your workshop is on, right? It's on relationships. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is part, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to do things in person as I will be coming to Salt Lake city, Mm -hmm. but you know, I've been developing during the pandemic, these webinars, and this is one of them. So this is online and it is a, a three, a three part webinar. So it's three weeks in a row, three sessions, and they're all part of the same journey. And this one is on the gift of relationship, helping each other stay awake. And it's on uh, January 29th and then February 6th and 13th. Uh, people can find out about it and register at live.marknepo.com. And yeah, the whole, you know, this is, again, when I mentioned that paradox in the beginning that no one can make it alone and yet no one can live your life for you. And so, you know, the gift of relationship, we're, we're all in relationship, uh, like it or not. And, you know, so we, we have to learn how to be together and how to be alone. And, and so, you know, one of the central metaphors about solitude and community is when we look at whales and dolphins, okay. they're great, great teachers. So we all know whales and dolphins because we see them break surface. They're in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, they can't stay there. They need, they're, they're actually air breathing creatures, mammoth as they are and how they're so big, they can stay under for a long time, mm-hmm. but they can't stay under or they'll drown. And they can't breach and stay in the air too long or they'll dry out. They need to be immersed in the deep. Mm-hmm. 
Well, this is a great metaphor for the rhythm between solitude and community, that human being, being a spirit in a body and time on earth. We have to be in the deep. We have to be immersed in the deep to stay alive. But as much as we love that, we can't stay there. We'll drown. Right. Even in wonderful water, depth will drown. We have to come into the world. We have to come into relationship. But we can't stay there either. So the question is not, will we be in solitude and community? The question, and this is a relationship too, mm -hmm. the gift of relationship, what is your personal rhythm between solitude and community, between depth and being in the world? Are you people who are listening right now? Are you two? It's not one is bad and one is good. It's what rhythm for you are you in balance? Right. Are you too, are, so someone who's listening right now, are you too much in the deep right now? Or are you too much in the world? What do you need to do to balance, to have a healthy balance mm -hmm. between self and other? And, and so we'll look at all these kinds of things in this workshop again, to personalize this webinar, to personalize what is, where are your gifts and where are your challenges? What do we need to get better at? Mm -hmm. And how do we, you know, the deep paradox is that because no one can live my life, so I need to have direct experience. But if I'm only left with my life is so much more than my experience. So I can't just. Right. So the only by being authentic, I can learn from your experience. If I'm not authentic, I won't. Right. I won't get it. I mean, it enriches us as individuals, but it enriches the relationships, right? When we maybe take our authentic experiences that then we're open to what somebody else's was that is going to be different than ours. You know, there's a great tradition in the Native American tradition, uh, elder councils, and they still do, but for hundreds of years, they meet in circle. And they don't do that just for equity because there's no head to a circle. They do that so that everyone has a direct view of the center. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I do. I that because what does that say? The assumption is that no one view is enough, right? Whatever we put in the center, trauma, addiction, kindness, love, whatever it is that we want to look at the, the nature of being alive. One view isn't if it's in the center. I need your view. We need everybody's view. Mm -hmm. So we gather meaning we don't choose it. It's like a prism. We need all the different facets of it. So it's more and more. Oh, how do you see it? So so this speaks to the gift and challenge of relationship, because just say, let's make a personal example. Say that I, I know what it's like to have a broken heart. We become friends and your heart gets broken. And now I want to be there for you. Mm -hmm. So even meaning well, I could say I know what it's like to have a broken heart. I don't know what it's like for you to have a broken heart. Right. So when we put that in the center, like in the elder council circle, I can share with you what heartbreak looks like from my point on the circle. What's it look like from your point? Mm -hmm. When you share that, not only do we keep company, but now we've added to the meaning of heartbreak because it's not just my view, it's also your view. And then somebody else comes along and it's their view. Right. So this, this is this is all about the challenge of really even even meaning well, we can push the people we want to help away mm -hmm. 
if we insist on our point of view, all of this is about the gift and challenge of relationship. Yeah, it makes me think of your book, 7,000 Ways to Listen, right? Oh, thank you, yeah. Where so often as we're listening, if we get too caught up in our own perspective, it takes us out of listening, right? I can bring my perspective as a way of staying open to your perspective. But if I'm hearing you and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I've been heartbroken. Oh, I get that. I've done that. Then I'm not listening. I'm not open. Yes. And we often, meaning well, we often get ready. Like, you know, if I'm feeling for your, for, for the pain you're in, I'm already thinking of a story that will comfort or strengthen, mm -hmm. encourage you. I'm not listening. Right. I'm no longer present. And we underestimate, and I'm sure you experienced this as a therapist, the power of just pure presence and listening because often when we are listened to we are given the chance to discover what we didn't know we know right because honest introspection you know is the way you know is what for a soul is what sketching is for an artist mm. we we find our way we figure it out we try things out and then we hear ourselves we hear our own voice and that uh, if I'm talking too much, even meaning well, I don't give you the space to discover what you already know. Right. All of this is about relationship, you know, and we'll be exploring mm -hmm. all kinds of things in, in this three week webinar. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Well, thank so you. I will, I will, again, I'll add, um, links and at the end of this i'll be you know giving the information for the salt lake event as well as for your three week oh, webinar. thank you i'll put all of that in the end so listeners don't you know rewind and try to find it i'll put it it's coming just listen <laughs> oh thank you thank you yeah so just a question and we may have already you know kind of covered this in some of the conversations but maybe a more pointed question so in this time in our struggle for this generation with the pandemic what would you hope for the world, for us living in it? What would, what would be your hope? Well, my hope is and belief is that if we can remember who we are and be who we are everywhere, you know, we will naturally uh, grow to each other the way plants grow to light. We will discover we're more together than alone. So I encourage, uh, I mean, one of the hard gifts of the pandemic is that we're being forced to be with ourselves, mm -hmm. to not run, not divert ourselves, not distract ourselves. And that's a challenge. You know, the, in the Jewish tradition, the word Sabbath literally means the one day we don't turn one thing into another. Mm. And we've been forced, I think, into a global Sabbath. We can't, you know, we can't scheme. We can't even dream. We have to be with what is and see the miracle of life in what's right next to us. Mm -hmm. Not imagine it's in the future, not imagine it's over there to see that everything is holy, to see the extraordinary and the ordinary. So I just encourage everyone to listen to their heart and to be as completely present as possible. So maybe a, a follow-up question. I love that, but I'm also thinking of all of the, maybe the labels that get in the way of the authentic, 
right? That we identify with. Even for me, I think therapist, I mean, that's a label. I am a therapist. I'm trained, I'm licensed, but there's so many ways to be a therapist that saying I'm a therapist doesn't really say much about the authentic me or even like I'm a mother, lots of different ways to mother that are great, but I have to figure out how I do it from my heart and from my authentic self. Yeah. So I think that, you know, one of the challenges in our age is that um, we are so over identified by what we do rather than who we are. Mm-hmm. And, and so that makes us kind of lean toward looking for our sense of worth outside of ourselves. And so, you know, like I, I am very consciously when I meet people, I don't say, I don't ask, what do you do? Mm-hmm. I ask, what do you care about? Mm-hmm. What are you involved in? in? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting, again, the Native American thing I learned from that other book that I worked on is that around 1000 AD in North America, uh, all, all of the Native American traditions, uh, the roles in their tribes, in their societies were multiple. Nobody did one thing. So like I might build teepees one winter and mm-hmm. then next next season, they might need somebody to plant corn. Oh, I'll do that. And then maybe I'd be to have to hunt. And so that people's sense of themselves, their identity was not overly tied to one role. Mm-hmm. Right. It was evolving. It was changing. So, so in, in our mechanized world, you know, this is this is something that, you know, Karl Marx for all the the all the stuff about Marxism and communism and, you know, like Karl Marx didn't create Marxism. <laughs> he just had insights about society. And one of the great insights he had in the 1840s when the Industrial Revolution was starting is he foresaw. He said, wow, our relationships are going to change because work will not be at home. Mm. Work will become division of labor with parts people will get pulled away from the whole of life Mm -hmm. and he foresaw he didn't say let's not have progress what he said was we need to be able to restore people to their basic nature because the industrial revolution the technology that will be coming will divorce us from our basic nature And so he said, if you have enough people that are divorced from their basic nature, you will have an alien nation. And he coined the term alienation. Okay. He he foresaw the first therapists. He called them alienists and that their job would be to restore people to their wholeness, to their basic nature. So we are, that's very relevant today. Yeah. Yeah very relevant today is how do we restore all of what we're talking about is the heart work and the reclaiming of our humanity the gifts of relationship how do we inhabit those in our turn so that we can restore our not give up progress but restore our wholeness return us to our basic nature right which actually moves us forward in more progressive or more productive ways well, then, then technology serves humanity and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm signed up. 
when I first heard you were coming, I was like, where's the link signing oh. up? <laughs> so well, thank you. Thank I'm you so, so grateful that you came on and I had this opportunity to talk with you and learn from you and listen to you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you in person then. when yes. in February. Yeah, right. Yep. Fingers crossed that that works out and yes. we're all healthy and can travel and you can arrive here safely. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you too. You be well and I'll look forward to seeing you. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, wasn't that a great conversation? For those of you who are local or if you want to come to Salt Lake City, want to give you the information to that event that is happening on February 25th at 7 p.m. Mark will be talking about heart work, as he mentioned. And then on February 26th, he's going to be doing a workshop that's entitled Reclaiming Our Humanity, Being Fierce and Tender in Our Call to Love. Now, at the end of the event on Friday, February 25th, books will be available for purchase. And Mark will also do a book signing. Now, I've been to some of these Young Society of Utah events before, and the lines do get long. So if you're like me, I order the books ahead of time, and then I can get in line for the book signing because I've already got so many of the books that the person is going to be presenting. Tickets for this event in Salt Lake City are available online at myartix, that's M-Y dot A-R-T-T-I-X dot org. And I will put the link for that in the show notes. You can also call 801-355-ARTS or 888-451-ARTS, A-R-T-S. Ticket pricing is $30 to $125, depending on what seats are available and what seats that you choose for yourself to be sitting in. Just if you're local, you do get, if you're in need of this, you will get one CEU and that's free for the Young Society of Utah members. If you're not a member, you can join or it's $10 to get that one CEU if you're not a member. And then the webinar that Mark and I talked about is beginning January 29th. It's a three-part webinar, so it takes place on Saturday. The first one is Saturday, January 29th. The next one is February 6th. That's a Sunday. And then the following one is February 13th, also a Sunday. It's from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can register now for that event at live.marknepo.com. And that one is the gift of relationship, helping each other stay awake. Really excited to have this episode, have Mark come be a part of that, share his journey, share his wisdom, share his knowledge, share his teaching, and looking forward to that event. At the end of this episode, I want to remind you that your story matters. Remember, there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished. Until next time, Jackie. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. The Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. 
Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.